Welcome to RAQA Today, the podcast that puts the fun back in quality, compliance, and regulatory affairs. Here's your host, Michelle Lott. So today we're going to talk about some do's and don'ts or lessons learned, and then we'll talk about how to do a business case for if MDR makes sense for your company and your products. So do train or hire MDR uh, champions. MDRs cannot consult. And if you don't understand the queries, they will not spend time even explaining their question because they say it's uh, borderline consulting. Uh, one of the people I interviewed had, was just the review just stopped and they were just told to hire consultants. And then, you know, the level of detail and skill set that is taken for the, the clinical documentation, the post-market surveillance documentation is highly specialized right now. And uh, the reviewer certifications that they're expecting, you know, for even the people who are doing your internal audits is extremely high, extremely costly. So it takes a village to author uh, uh, the documentation for a CE mark right now. Um, under MDD, you kind of had your core team that was clinical engineering, QA, and RA. Well, now that team is significantly expanding. You need consultants. You need a, a person with a niche biocompatibility expert, niche expertise in sterilization. You're going to need some input from your production people. And then, like we talked about, post-market surveillance is going to be uh, the sum total of input from all of these people year over year. So make sure your management knows the number of people that you're going to need to support this and the types and depth of expertise. You can't farm out the responsibility for the why. Um, just throwing your product over the wall at a test lab or test house is not sufficient. You have to know and be able to explain every decision and selection and why that was your appropriate for your product and your intended use directly in the first person. So that means you have to take more responsibility and you need to tell the labs what you need as the client and you need to do your own homework on what the MDR is requiring. The labs won't do it for you. And there may be in nuances of your product that they would um, miss, particularly in areas of biocompatibility and 10993. Even testing you did two years ago may not be comprehensive enough to meet the um, expectations of CER, or the MDR based off of the clinical applications for it. If you have to do all this testing during your review, you know, you're going to put your, your certificate in jeopardy. So you have to prove everything. And this is another way you can prepare yourself and your team. Things that you think are longstanding principles like gravity are no longer, I guess, blanketly accepted. So if you are at all going to say this is a well-known material, this is a well-known sterilization method, this is a well-known whatever it may be, be prepared through at least literature to be able to support how those things are well-known and that they are well-known in a medical clinical application. For example, stainless steel, been around for many, many decades, many, many decades in a medical application. And you will get asked, how do you know that the dimensions of stainless steel 
don't change over your shelf life. And oh, by the way, you can't use any data from it being used in ocean at depth or on in space. And all those things are still functional. You can't use any other application to uh, justify your engineering assumptions for your medical application. So know what the appeal process is, know what the MDR entitles you in terms of complaints and appeals. But again, this is a, the other difference in why you need to pick a notified body and know what their requirements are, is you need to know what recourse you have in case you do wanna complain and, and appeal. Each member state gives you different recourses and there's inconsistencies on which court you're gonna to go to, if it's gonna be civil or administration. Courts are not specialists in the technical aspects of either the MDR or uh, the technical aspects of your product. It's going to require a lot of time and you're going to need data to succeed, which if you have the data in the first place, you might not have needed the complaint or the appeal. It, it is going to feel like starting from scratch. One of the most significant things that you can do to prepare yourself and your team and documentation is read the um, MDCG's guidances for notified bodies, not just the guidances that apply for manufacturers. These guidance documents are going to tell you how the competent authorities are going to assess your notified body. There will be forms, there will be examples of reports, there will be checklists. And if you look at any one of these guidance documents and this information, and you can't answer that question and point to it directly in your technical documentation, neither can the notified body, which means when the, the competent authority goes to audit the notified body's assessment of your file, they're going to immediately have gaps in their audit. So if you can't, you know, all of this, like we saw at the beginning, rolls back heel. Uh, rolls downhill. So this is your one way to push it back uphill is by giving the notified bodies everything that they need to give to the competent authorities that in turn is going to push it back up to the, the European Commission and allow you to keep the manufacturing cap. So the business case for MDR, how do you make the analysis of does this even make sense for your products? So you need to do a product portfolio rationalization. For some of your products, right off the bat, you're gonna know it's not worth it. Some of them, it might be like, okay, why, why bother? So for, but for some of your products, maybe it will make sense. So for those, how do you go about structuring that business case? Well, do you have an existing product on the market? Yes. You know, that's going to be easy. You have some known numbers there. It's going to be your typical five-year growth plan and projections. Um, if no, and this is your initial entry, do you have competitors? If yes, then you need to map out what percentage of the market over what period of time do you think that you can secure from that subset of com competitors? If you don't have competitors and you have a new and novel technology, then you're going to need clinical data to show how you reduce risk, improve care, and reduce cost in the healthcare market. And then you're going to need to use all of those things. And this is where it gets extremely hypothetical to project what your revenue could be. But there are a number of costs and hypotheses you have to keep in, in, in mind. You will have QMS updates that you have to make on a regular basis, especially as the MDCG comes out with clarifying guidance documents. 
you will have third-party fees year over year. You've got your notified body, your European authorized representative, your UK authorized representative, your Swiss authorized representative, and who else? Who knows what else is coming with all the changing political uh, climate in Europe right now. As technical standards get updated, you will have to update your engineering documents and your testing, your lab testing. You will have to make label updates and you're going to have ongoing maintenance of the documentation across all those sectors. And then you've got your hypothesis, you know, year one, you know, a best case scenario, you need to anticipate on no more than half a percentage of market share. But then Europe is on a tender based market. And so if it takes like in one example, we saw a year and a half to get through the certification process and you get out. You don't know where you're at in that tender cycle because the tender cycles usually last about three years. And so if you come out a year and a half after a tender went, you'll still have another year and a half before you can get in a particular system. And by that time, you're up for a recertification and you have all these costs and you might not have even gotten a tender to sell your product. You need to understand um, the comparison and the contrast in ways of communicating and budgeting between the FDA and the notified body. Um, the FDA has, this is just some of, you know, nearly a dozen of ways to com communicate before your review. Most of them are free. Notified body is just the application form and getting quotes. And right now you're going to be knocking on a lot of doors to get anybody who is uh, taking new business at the moment. The review fees are very small, no matter what kind of submission you have in the U.S. compared to the rounds of assessment fees that you are going to go through for a notified body. Like I said, one interviewee pulled the plug when they were over six figures in review fees with no end in sight. So this is going to leave companies have to do a serious uh, business case analysis and regulatory cost analysis of does the regulatory make sense? Does it make sense or is it going to just make your company go bust? That's the end of my presentation for today. I do have two tools that are available um, on my website, uh, regulatory pathway assessment that's going to help you understand the regulatory requirements, both to get your product to market and keep it there. And then the business market assessment where you can take those uh, requirements and then kind of model them into a more market analysis type decision-making process. So with that, do you guys, uh, I'll take questions now. We definitely do have some questions that are already submitted. Is it still possible to get an extension of your CE certification date at this time? Is there a process to petition a competent authority? No, that um, as of May of this year, there were no more issuing of the CE mark certificates and most, most notified bodies quit um, issuing six months beforehand just because of how long it takes to get through after you get through a review to get through the issuance of the certificate. If a CER, for example, a class 2A device is well-written, and in full conformance with MedDev 2.7.1 Revision 4, do you see any urgency to update or rewrite it before submitting for MDR review? Yes. So, um, and, and that's the problem with the, the CERs that I gave the examples of. They all were in full compliance with 271. 
But right now, you, you, that's not the only criteria because of, like I explained, the clinicians not necessarily being familiar with the, the regulatory construct. And, um, and then the MDR has additional testing expectations, like in terms of biocompatibility, um, I think all your, your that's, that feeds up into the CER um, and the whole post-market aspect and discussion um, is, is much greater and a lot of detail. I would definitely give it a, a good once over before and not just turn it in with the MDR. So one, one of the initial slides had clinical sticky, so they went with performance route. Can you explain what that means? So they got hung up in their CER uh, discussion with the notified body so that they, they didn't go the literature review. They went full performance evaluation. How accepting are notified bodies of med devs right now when there are not yet analogous MDCG documents? This is, a, again, where we're just kind of in this no man's land of interpretation versus legislation and not sure how all this stuff is going to play out. Um, and, and it varies from notified body to notified body. You know, I don't think anybody's abandoned the med devs. Um, so there's kind of just still this kind of foot in, in both worlds for the expectations. Are we still expecting all modules for the Udamed to be available by May 2022? I've heard uh, Richard Houlihan speak on this um, right now, uh, recently, and he thinks that if they're not, they will amend the regulation to where they are going to consider it fully functional with whatever core group of modules that they have at that time. Is it mandatory to have conformity assessment from notified body before submission of MAA for Europe for combination products device? I don't really, I'm not that familiar with combination products in Europe, so I'm not the person for that one. Substantially equivalent devices for class three will need a contract from the competitor to access their TD for comparison. Is this going to work in real life? Will competitors be allowed to say no? Yes, competitors will be allowed to say no. And the, the, I, I've seen this done one time, and this is when I made the comment about the one percenters. I saw one of the largest, the CERs for one of the largest manufacturers of um, stents, and they use themselves for substantial equivalents. So that's another point where like they, it is going to be the largest manufacturers with multiple product lines that own all their own data anyways, that are, are going to win at the end of this in, in, a, in a fashion that makes any kind of sense. So I don't think that you can count on no competitors ever gonna give you a contract or access. And even if they did, for, well, for the CER that might, make okay sense but if like even if you were like an OEM and your your contract manufacturer gives a letter for full access to the their technical file to your notified body notified bodies have pushed back and said well you still have to own the risk analysis for that product because it's yours if current notified body is not certified when should the manufacturer consider starting the EU MDR certification with a different notified body the short answer is, is now because a lot of the notified bodies will tell you they're six to eight months out from being able to, 
take new customers, if they are taking new customers, a lot of them are telling you, don't, you know, we don't call us back in a year. We're not taking new customers at all. And then uh, for your notified body, I showed the graph that showed what stages, how many people were in what stage of the designation process or how many notified bodies. I would specifically ask your notified body, are you one of these two that's about to come out? Are you one of these six that's about to go into the, this process? Maybe if they're one of the two in that, that kind of last stage, maybe you wait. But if they are past that, I would go ahead and start trying to get a new notified body. What have you seen as far as well-established technologies like saline, sterile water for injection when packaged in devices like PFS? Why is there a requirement for clinical evidence for such products? On that CER is king, you know, that, that's the problem with a lot of these. And between the CER is king slide set and then the one I did at the end where you have to reprove everything, you know, you think gravity is assumed now. These, these companies, the one with the, the wound drain, longstanding technology, there was one with stainless steel. You know, all of these have got just the same longstanding practices as sterile water. It, it's just, it, it just is just like starting from scratch. So you're going to have to find a way to get your own clinical data. Do you have recommendations on how to gather intelligence on notified bodies in terms of their approach, such as to change submissions, remote audits, et cetera, to inform selection? That's a good one. I think that that's going to be one of the next tools that I put together to, to hand out because there is, I, I do, especially in preparing this presentation, I kind of have a mental checklist, but, but so, so just be looking out on my LinkedIn for kind of more formal organization for that. If a manufacturer has a single medical device, but sold as multiple brands, does those brands must all be a part of the technical documentation of that device? Yes, particularly your um, post-market surveillance is going to have to be very clear and encompassing of all those brands. We had one attendee ask about the EU harmonized standards for MDR. To my knowledge, they have not published any any kind of timeline on that. And we've just kind of, it, it, it's just like the, the Udamed, the performance standards, the um, implementation, there, there's, a, there's probably six or seven different types of documents that are all years behind, but they are coming together behind the scenes and, you know, they're slowly but surely uh, issuing new, new guidances, new standards on a regular basis. Michelle, the MDCG and classification is also scary for some products in terms of up classification and is putting the notified bodies in a difficult position because they also don't agree with the classification. One of the notified bodies told me this as a, as a tip is when the notified body accepts your contract, they are contractually obligated that they agree with the classification as described in that document. And because that means that they have the right codes for that product, they have the right resources for that product, and that they are committing that they have got all that they all the certifications that they need to review that product as it's described in the application. 
All right, we have one more question. How accepting are the notified bodies to human factor studies conducted in the U.S. to support EU submissions? That is going to vary on the product and the intended use. And can you demonstrate that the, um, the ethnic and the language differences in the way you conducted your study in the U.S. Um, don't, are the same in Europe? So to, to do that, you're going to have to do a scientific analysis and justification of the, the user population in the U.S. versus the EU, including language.